Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for that Your Word is not mute concerning anything that concerns us. And I thank You for Your anointing upon me to minister the Word in power and anointing and authority this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. And it's good to see old Mike with us. Mike, how long has it been since you've been able to come to church? Glad to have you here. Good to see old Nudden sitting there. Good to see y'all with us this morning. Um, I kind of have rearranged the platform this morning because I don't want to come across as preachy this morning. And I just want to kind of sit down and speak to you from my heart. Uh, uh, if I stand up, I might have a tendency to go running and shouting and something stuff and scare somebody. So, But I do want to just kind of speak from my heart this morning. And uh, I want you to turn to Matthew. Chapter 19. I tell you what, would you do one more? I know I told you to sit down, but in respect to the Word, would we stand while we read the Word, please? Uh, Matthew 19. Verse 9. Matthew 19, verse 9. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and you know that that's implying or whoever divorces her husband, it's not just the wife, it's the husband too, except for sexual immorality, uh, the, the New King James says sexual immorality. What does your Bible say? Fornication. And the note, footnote in the New King James says uh, fornication. And marries another, commits adultery. And whoever remarries, whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Now, don't that just scare the poop out of you if you've been divorced? Huh? It can, can it? Well, y'all can be seated. I'm going to. <clears throat> I first preached this message October the 7th, 1984. 28 years ago. And what I'm going to say today is word for word, verbatim, of what I preached 28 years ago. The reason I'm saying that is because 28 years ago when I preached it, I had not been divorced, had not planned on being divorced, and that was not in my realm of possibility. The reason I preached this message was to minister to those who had, and to minister comfort to those who had been through divorce, and never dreaming that I would ever be a divorced pastor, that never really ever crossed my mind. It was merely just to offer some hope and healing to those that had gone through the terrible pain of divorce. What I say today, I want you to understand, it's not an attempt on my part to justify staying in the ministry. It's not my uh, intention here to blame anyone else for my divorce, to blame or deny my part in the divorce or to make myself feel good about remaining in ministry though I've been divorced. It, as I said, it'll, it'll be basically word for word and uh, because I don't want to say anything that may come across as if it's a way to justify or that I am preaching to salve my own conscience because, as I said, I preached this before I ever dreamed that there would 
be a divorce in my life. Uh, how many of you know there's some misconceptions about divorce? And there's some misunderstandings and some misuses of Scripture where divorce is concerned. Divorce is a painful word. Uh, it is a tragedy, to be honest with you. It's hell. Tammy Wynette was right. It's pure H-E-double-L for me and you. And who else? The kids. It's not only a tragedy for those of us who've gone through divorce, but it breaks the heart of God. God hates divorce. There's not one divorce God's ever liked. He hates them all. But now the subject of divorce is too, gen- too, too general and too broad to address in one message. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to, I'm going to narrow the subject matter down uh, as to the misconceptions about divorce disqualifying you. And the message is entitled, Divorce is Not Disqualification. And I'm going to talk to you not about all the ramifications of divorce. It's just too broad to talk like that. Well, what I'm going to do is talk with you about one specific area of divorce, and that is the common notion that if you've been divorced, you can't be a deacon, you can't preach, you can't minister, you can't serve God if you've been divorced. You can't be a pastor, you can't hold any leadership positions because of divorce. Now, I'm going to give you some M's this morning. Can you say M? The first M is misinterpreted. This verse... Matthew 19.9 has been misinterpreted. It's always dangerous to form a denomination or a doctrine on a single verse of Scripture. How many of you know that? I mean, it would be a sad church if we took Jesus wept and started a denomination on that, wouldn't it? <laughs> Kleenexes would sell a lot, but that just wouldn't make a real good, a real good doctrinal statement. There's much more about the subject of divorce than this one verse touches. Uh, You've got to examine the Scripture, any verse of Scripture, in its entirety and let the Scripture be its own encyclopedia. You can't just jerk one Scripture out and say, this is what God, God, God has said and that's final. Okay? The whole matter of repentance and forgiveness is not even dealt with here. Okay, there, there's no, there's no, he don't, he don't talk about uh, repentance and, and, and forgiveness or anything. And where there's godly sorrow, folks, there's got to be a, a place for God's grace. Can somebody say amen? I mean, when, 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 you, when you're sorry and when you have repented, you've got to, you've got to in, inject the grace of God into it somewhere. And the tragedy in religious circles is that there are people who did not want to be divorced. They didn't want the divorce. But guess what? The church has penalized them from serving God if they ever remarry. And it's like God has, has condemned them to a life of singleness or celibacy the rest of their life. And God is punishing the innocent party for something the guilty party did. And y'all, I don't know about y'all, but I don't think God works that way. If you steal a car, they're not going to throw me in jail if it's my car. Right? They're going to throw you in jail. All right? 
Denominations that practice this kind of unfortunate misinterpretation of the Scripture are painting themselves into an unbiblical, extra-biblical corner. And it causes pain upon pain. If you've been through divorce, I mean, no, it's painful enough. Without everybody that you come in contact with telling you God's through with you and God don't love you and you're a second-class citizen anymore. So time and time again in Scripture... We see Jesus, he, he, he deals in the spirit of the law. Now, now 2 Corinthians 3, 6, don't turn to it, but it says, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, if you want to write it down, it says that, that the, 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 the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. And time after time in the word of God, we see Jesus who was, listen, who was the letter of the law. He was the word in flesh. He was the word. But we see Jesus time after time siding with the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Let me give you a couple of instances. There was a woman called in adultery. What did the law say that should happen to her? She could be stoned. She should be stoned to death. But what did Jesus do? He said, I don't condemn you. Now, you know, he was the only one standing there that could have stoned her to death. Because literally the text says, literally it says, he who is without this sin. Why do you reckon those guys dropped their rocks and run? Huh? You know, they caught her in the act of adultery. What were they doing in her bedroom? It wasn't no Bible study. If you caught somebody in the act of adultery, you've got to be real close. Come on, somebody. But Jesus said, I don't condemn you. There was a woman he went to and saw at a well. She'd had five husbands and wasn't married to the guy she's living with now. You know, at worst, she would be stoned. At best, she'd be ostracized. But what did Jesus do? He offered her the life sentence, not the death sentence. Okay? And He went to the well to meet her when He knew that she'd be there and nobody else would be there to mess up His message. I mean, you know, preachers can mess up the Word of God. Did you know that? Christians can, I mean, you know, somebody said, said there, was, there, was, there was two reasons a guy didn't get saved. One was because he didn't know a Christian, and two was because he did. <laughs> now, beyond all doubt, the ideal is that a man and a woman should be married forever. That's God's ideal. But how many of y'all been living in the world long enough to know this ain't no ideal world? Anybody's life problem free? Anybody here's life is tidy? Orderly? Millie's, Millie's daughter's raising her hand. Hers is, yeah. Praise God. How many of you know that often things that happen that wreck a marriage, the law can't touch? The law don't deal with. Have you not wished there was a law against what your husband does? <laughs> your wife does. Let me give you a tale of two men. First of all, there's a man here, and in a moment of weakness and passion, he commits adultery one time. Don't justify it, but he's truly repentant. 
truly sorry. And it has shaken his world so, what he did, that chances are he'll never do that again. But there's another man, another husband. This husband is the model citizen. Out in the public, he's the model husband. He would never dream of committing adultery against his wife. He'd never dream of being with another woman. But here's what he does. He physically abuses her. He verbally abuses her. There are times that she and the children fear for their very life. She doesn't know when he comes home if she's going to get a beating, get cussed out, or what. But this is the way she lives. And the children are living in torment every day too. Because though he would never commit adultery, he's a monster. Now, you know that the sins that get in the newspaper and in the community spread all over are not necessarily the greatest sins that you think about. You see, I could uh, beat Ann every day and it wouldn't make it to the newspaper. <laughs> she said, oh, yes, it would. But if I divorce her, it will. I, I, can, I can abuse her. A man can abuse his children. Nobody in the community knows about it. Nobody condemns him for that. But let him get a divorce and it's all over town. And in the second instance where the man is physically abusing his wife and his kids, it's not the law that needs to be preserved. It's the human heart and soul of the wife and the children. Now, may I just go on record as saying something here that might be, you might disagree with? That's all right if you do. I do not believe God intends for a woman and the kids to stay in an environment that their life is threatened just to satisfy some legalistic Christians somewhere. You see, so there's things that the law don't touch. What about the heart and the soul of the, of the, of the, of the wife and the kids? So let's not misinterpret this verse. Secondly, the second M is this verse is often misquoted. Misquoted. Most folks quote this verse by saying that the grounds of divorce that Jesus gives is what? Well, you ask, yeah, I heard it. Most of the time, the only grounds for divorce according to God's Word is what? What do they say? Huh? They say adultery, don't they? Most folks don't say fornication, even though that's what it says. Most folks say, oh, adultery is the only reason you can get a divorce. But, but that's not the word Jesus used, is it? He, he don't say adultery. Now, he could have said adultery if that's what he meant. If that's what he meant. He could have said and, and, and would have said, except for adultery. But he didn't say adultery. He uses the word fornication. Now, how many of you know there's a difference in adultery and fornication? 
Now get ready, we're fixing to blow your hats off if you haven't ever heard this. He did not say adultery. He didn't say that you can get a divorce if your spouse has committed adultery. He did not say adultery. He said fornication. Now what is the difference between adultery and fornication? What is adultery? It is sex. It is sex among married people whether uh, that is having sex with somebody that ain't your wife. If you're married and you have sex with anybody other than your spouse, it's adultery because you're married. Okay? All right? So adultery is, is sexual sin after marriage. Everybody, everybody with that? Adultery is sexual sin after marriage. What is fornication? Okay. Fornication is sexual sin before marriage or outside of marriage. Now, hang in here with me. Because Jesus is fixing to say something I bet you didn't know he said. Jesus used the term fornication as the clause for permitting divorce. Fornication, not adultery. Everybody clear on that? He used the word that means sex before or outside of marriage, not sex after marriage. All right? Now, listen. What Jesus is saying, hold on to your hat, okay? What Jesus is saying is that if after you have married your spouse, you discovered that they have had sex before you got married, you can legally divorce them. Because in actuality, are you still here? Lock the doors. In actuality, listen to this. In the eyes of God, they're married to the first person they had sex with. You don't believe that? Look with me in 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Now here's here's the here's the clincher. What, what did God tell? What did God say in in Genesis about Adam and Eve? They would the, 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 that a man would leave his father and mother, and and the two would be what? Now when He said they'll be one flesh, what's He talking about? He's talking about them becoming married, right? Them becoming one, married in the eyes of God. Okay. Now becoming one don't mean they think alike. It means they have sex. All right. Everybody with me there? Okay. Now look what He look, look what He says here. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Paul said that you become one flesh during intercourse. Marriage is not consummated when I say you may kiss the bride. Your marriage is not consummated when I sign your marriage license. You can get an annulment if you haven't done what? Had sex. Because it's not been consummated. You're not, you haven't become one. 
Now, this is getting heavy, y'all. Listen. I, I got a clear message for every self-righteous stone thrower and all the minister disqualifiers out there that might be hearing this. You who are without this sin, cast the first stone. Now, listen. Here's what I'd ask the minister disqualifiers and the self-righteous that look down their nose at everybody that's been divorced. I want to ask them this. Have you engaged in premarital sex? Did you have sex with anybody before you got married? Are you married to the person right now that you slept with first? If not, I'd suggest you drop your rocks. Because according to the Scripture and Jesus' definition, you're divorced from the first person you slept with. You became one with that first person, not the one that you walked down the aisle with. You're discouraging, you're disqualifying yourself by your own standard and definition. I think there's a better question to ask candidates for deacons and ministers than have you been divorced? You know what I want to ask them? Are you married to anybody other than the first person you slept with? If so, you've been divorced yourself, you old self-righteous thing. I got a second message for the self-righteous stone throwers and the ministerial disqualifiers. I think your condemning attitude toward divorcees stinks in the nostrils of God as bad as divorce does. I think your self-righteous attitude that your, your sin isn't sin is as wrong in the sight of God as any divorce ever could be. I think a man or a woman who is man or woman enough to confess their sin and say, I, I, I sinned. I cheated on my husband. I sinned, but I repent. I think they're a whole lot more fit to serve a body of Christ than some self-righteous liar, cheater, luster. The stone-throwing church board is quick to accept the tithe of the divorcee. Have you ever noticed that? We don't ask nobody that tithes or you've been divorced. Give me that money. They want you tithe, but they don't want your time. They recognize your money, but they don't recognize your ministry. They'll tell the divorcee, now you sit back there and be real good and sweet, but don't you forget to put that money in the plate. You can't do anything but give and come. This verse has been misapplied. It's been misinterpreted, misquoted, and misapplied. Number three. Let's say you are the one that is was the cheater on your spouse this morning. May I just encourage you with this, that divorce is not the unpardonable sin? No, divorce is not the ideal. No, it's not. God doesn't like divorce. God hates divorce. But being divorced doesn't disqualify you from serving God any more than being self-righteous and greedy and a liar and a thief and 
How many deacons you reckon ain't even saved to begin with? How many preachers that are standing by behind the pulpit like fountains in public squares where water gushes forth from lips that never taste it? Jesus could have legally stoned this woman to death because he was the one that was standing there without that sin. But he didn't. You know what he did? He told her to get up and go on and sin no more. That word G-O is, is big. Go and sin no more. That means there's life after failure. There's a destiny after divorce. I was going to read this at the end, but let me say it now because it fits right here. Divorce is a bridge to a different future. That's what it is. It's not death. It's not disqualification. Divorce is a bridge to a different future. You know what else divorce is? Divorce is a platform to be able to speak with authority. You see, up until 2000, I could only talk about divorce as someone who had heard about it and read about it. But I'm an authority now. And you can't take people where you haven't been. See, I used to just be able to sympathize with divorcees. Now I empathize with them. I know what it's like when somebody through the grapevine gets a word to you that I will not ever sit under a divorced pastor. That's all right. The one you're sitting under may be worse off than I am. <laughs> I want to just ask you something. If the perfect, sinless Son of God would forgive a sinner and tell her to go and sin no more. Who in the world are we that needed that same forgiveness to tell anybody that they can't work in the field of the Lord that forgave them? Maybe you're the innocent party of a divorce, and you didn't want your spouse to leave, but they left. God's not going to punish you for their sin. There are denominations that will not let a person be a minister, even if they're the innocent party, if they remarry. That is nonsense. That is the height of hypocrisy and stupidity. And you always hear this one. Well, the Bible says that a deacon or a minister can only be the husband of one wife. Well, let's answer that. How about that? I had a gentleman I was going to ask to be a deacon one time. He said, Pastor, I can't be a deacon. I said, well, why not? He said, well, the Bible says that the deacon's got to be the husband of one wife. I said, well, how many you got? <laughs> it means a one-woman man or the husband of but one wife. 
You see, Paul was addressing polygamy when he said that, which was rampant in that day. And you know, you know, you've heard me say that people say they believe something, but they don't really believe it if you pin them down. And you say, I believe in the literal interpretation of the word. He said, one wife must be the husband of one wife. A bishop must be the husband of one wife. Oh, really? So you're saying a deacon can't deke and a bishop can't bish. If his wife died, you're going to take it literally. You've got to take it literally. Husband of one wife. My wife's dead. You ain't got no wife. She's in the ground. You're out of here. They don't do that. There's some single pastors and single deacons. They're not the husband of one wife. Can somebody say amen? So they say we literally interpret it, but you don't. You interpret it to fit your own, to suit your own fancy. And if they're the deacon and they get divorced, I bet they'll change their philosophy on who can serve as the deacon too. Right? One of the most shocking truths you'll ever hear is about to come out of my mouth right here. You're in good company if you've been divorced. Did you read a sign on the way in? God's been divorced too. Jeremiah 3.8. You don't believe it? Look over there. Let's look at Jeremiah 3.8. God's been divorced. He's got a pretty good ministry. Wouldn't you say? He's doing all right. As Mark Lowry said the other week, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't pastor in some denominations, but he's do, God's doing all right. He probably wouldn't want to pastor in some of them. <laughs> Jeremiah 3, verse 8. I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. So see, God, God divorced her. God divorced Israel. Did you know that's even in the Bible? You want to really make somebody look at you bug out around the water fountain at work, tell them, guess what I found out? Did you see the news last night? God has been divorced. <laughs> now, I had somebody when I preached this, started a rumor all over town, and I said Jesus had been divorced. Honey, you got to get married to be divorced. Crazy. I don't believe divorce disqualifies you from a ministry. I believe it qualifies you more. Because I know that most folks that have more compassion on other divorced people are those that have been there. Until you've been there, you just kind of say, well, you had to do something to deserve it. I'm sure I did. I mean, you know, it's never 100% zero. It's always 50-50 or 60-40 or whatever, but... Everybody, even the one that didn't cheat, evidently did something to make the other one want to go looking in another pasture. And I've told y'all my war story about that. I'm not going to get into all that, but 
uh, I will say this, uh, you know, if, if you don't wash your wife with your words, guys, she will find somebody that will. And guys are washing her with their words every day at work. When they say, oh, that dress looks so pretty on you. Blue is your per- favorite color. Oh, what's that pretty perfume you got? Oh, boy, that smells good. Man, your husband sure is blessed to have you. You know what that is? Washy, 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 washy. And then when you come home from work or your husband comes in, what words does he use? Where's my supper? Why ain't your clothes clean? So just listen, you know, if you've been through a divorce, you had a part to play, even if you weren't the cheater or you were the cheated on, uh, it's never it's never all cut and dried. Um I believe it qualifies me more and qualifies you more if you've been divorced because you can't take people where you haven't been. If I'm asked to go on a lion safari in Africa, I don't want a guide that wrote a book. (laughs) I want a guy that went, brought back a lion, and lived to tell me about it. And if you've lived through a divorce, you've got plenty to tell. I think you can have a greater effective ministry because you're a testimony of God's delivering and healing and sustaining power. Now, you that haven't been divorced, let me just give you a little bit of a, 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 a as good as I can, uh, a little idea of what it'd be like. Uh, how many of you? How many of you have lost a mom, a dad, or? a close friend to death and you were standing there at the casket looking at them and that was going to be the last time you'd see them. How many of you know that feeling of when they put them in the ground? That's kind of final. How many of you know that? And then the days set in that you're lonely and I found myself a year after my mama died, I found myself turning down the road to go see her. I thought, you a fool. You crazy. Have you lost your mind? She's dead. But then time goes by, and you never quit missing them, but your heart's just not bleeding all over the place every day. Well, here's the difference in that and divorce. Divorce is a daily funeral. Dying every day. They just keep dying but don't never die. Because you still got to see the kids. You got to go see them when you pick up the kids. You got to see them in court when they take you to DSS. You got to see them uptown. You see then laws and they remind you of what part of the anatomy you have become. (laughs) And you hear their name and you see them and it's ongoing. It's a funeral that never ends if you've been there. Say, oh me. (laughs) 
And you can't minister to somebody unless you have an ongoing funeral in your life too because you don't know what it's about. Huh? I believe the broken become masters at mending. Now, if you've been divorced, let me tell you something. Regardless of what's been said to you, you are not dead. Pinch yourself. You're still here. You're not disqualified. You're not dead. There's some that wish you were. And, and, and if you are the guilty party here, I mean, you're guilty of sin warmed over in a microwave three times. I mean, you're just guilty. Maybe your spouse didn't do anything to deserve what you did by cheating on them, and it's over, and you beat yourself to death and, 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 and regret and repent. and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but what can I do? It's, it's done. Let me offer you some hope. Listen to me. Forgiven is forgiven. God didn't put you on probation. You are either forgiven or you're not. You're a saint or a hank. And let me tell you that a second marriage can receive the same blessing, a third marriage, fourth marriage, fifth marriage. God help you. If you've lived through that many, you do have war stories to tell. But a second marriage and a third marriage can receive the same blessing a first marriage can if both of you will submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because it's by His grace you're saved. It's by the blood of Jesus that we're cleansed and there's not a sin the blood of Jesus will not cleanse except the sin of those who will not bring it to put it under it. You do not have to wear a D on your forehead the rest of your life. Go and serve God with a clear conscience. Serve others who are sharing the same grief you share. Hmm. Some of us have got things in our past much worse than divorce. How I many of you would like for us just to rig up some little old contraption that would go to your brain and your memory and hook it up there and let Roger hit the button and say, okay, now, here we go. Let's see. Here's old, uh, here's old Tony Borders past. Probably some of us, if we knew our turn was coming, we'd, we'd exit the building, wouldn't we? Those who have been hurt by divorce and devastated by this tragedy need our compassion. They need love. They need grace, the grace of God. We can't deprive people that have been divorced of, of, of fellowship and serving in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do if the church keeps going the way some churches want to go and, and ostracize divorced people from serving. We are cutting in over half the people we're going to minister to and cutting in over half the resources from people's giftings that we can minister, receive ministry from. And let me tell you this. We can sit up in churches every Sunday and think that we're all holy and all that. But listen to me. Did you know that the divorce rate in the church is exactly the same as the divorce rate in the world? 51%. 
But let me say this to, uh, to us charismatic spirit-filled. Sometimes I wonder what kind of spirit we fill with. The divorce rate in the charismatic church is 52%. There's more divorce, divorces in charismatic churches than there is in the world. Why? Because we got such a blessed God, I'm going to do what I want to. I'm a free spirit mentality. And if we start saying we're not going to minister or receive from people that's been divorced, we're cutting our own throat. We're cutting it. We're cutting. We're cutting over half of the folks that need ministry out. And we're cutting over half the folks that have giftings that we could receive from out because we are excluding them from being able to minister to us because we got our act together. Jesus didn't ostracize me and alienate me. You think when you got a divorce, it caught God by surprise and He's going back, Oh, Lord, have mercy. What have we done? You died for them? Yes, He did. And when you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Let me just reiterate this. I'd rather serve with men and women who've been divorced and have said, I, am, I repent, God, I need your grace. I'd rather, I had rather serve with somebody like that than some haughty old somebody looking down their nose at everybody that comes through the door, judging them, a spirit of arrogance and pride and greed and just impure thoughts. The divorcee that has been dusted off and washed down with the blood of Jesus is much more fit to serve than some of these characters we got serving that are telling the divorcees to sit down and shut up. I'm done. Y'all done? Y'all through listening? <laughs> 